Happy Holidays from Inappropriate Conversations. Continuing the Talkback series, this one, kind of a companion piece to the previous one that I reshared earlier in the month for an audio commentary to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by Rankin and Bass. This one, with the same writer and the same production company, is Rankin and Bass and their shorter, 30-minute long telecast for Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. I recall being very tempted at the recording of this one to name Roger Miller as a different drummer, but I also realized that I hadn't yet found a spot for Fred Astaire, and if I wasn't going to do an audio commentary anytime soon for Santa Claus is Coming to Town, I needed to make sure that I was intentional about calling out Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire had as much to do with the Christmas uh, the Christmas box set I've got of Rankin Bass as any other prominent star. So the different drummer is Fred Astaire. There's a shout-out to Roger Miller. And the bulk of the show is an audio commentary for a lesser-known, and perhaps deservedly lesser-known, Rankin-Bass uh, stop-motion animation telefilm uh, for Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey. I'm not sure much more introductory material is needed than this. I'm saving a spot for a future talkback, looking at another Christmas episode, this one intentionally timed for December 14th. And uh, yeah, there's a reason for that. So let's enjoy the celebratory mood, even for artistic material that is you know, varied in quality at best, because perhaps the next talk back, looking at Christmas, will have a little more weight to it. Thanks for listening. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. Hello, I'm Greg. Merry Christmas, and let's have an inappropriate conversation about Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey. It's a commentary show. A couple of years ago, I did an audio commentary from probably my favorite Christmas program, particularly on TV, at least, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rankin-Bass production, stop-motion animation, filled with tons of songs. And I called that out at the time as being a show that I never thought about as being a musical. And yet it's obvious when you look at it from a critical perspective that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is definitely a musical. The show that I intend to focus on this Christmas, also a Rankin-Bass production, coming out 13 years later in 1977, I don't think is as much a musical. It's more traditional, and it has a couple of musical numbers, but they're mainly montage scenes. It's not like you have pure asides where characters in the show are singing songs and the songs are driving plot and even dialogue. So this will be a little bit later a shorter example, uh, more of a 30-minute TV special as opposed to an hour-long TV special. And I'll be pulling it from YouTube. So if you wanted to go out and look at YouTube, searching for the full title, Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, the one you're going to be looking for is approximately 25 minutes long, just a little under 25 minutes. Before that, though, I want to begin with The Different Drummer and talk about what I think is probably a much better Christmas film, but one that I'm not going to do an audio commentary on, or at least I'm not going to do one on it this year. And in order to talk about Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 
which is truly in every way the second best of all the Rankin-Bass holiday productions. And Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, as we'll learn, is much further away on the shallow end of the pool. But in order to talk about that, I want to do so in the context of its narrator, our different drummer, Fred Astaire. There's a legendary story, it's cited in the Wikipedia article, in fact, for Fred Astaire, that says that there was a Hollywood screen test on him for RKO Radio Pictures, a movie studio that would later hire him, and he would do a lot of his best work with them early on. But the screen test apparently had some written documentation, a review of his performance, that said, can't sing, can't act, balding, can dance a little. Now, anyone who's ever seen a Fred Astaire film, especially those early RKO movies with Ginger Rogers, knows that you really have to be downplaying or under-exaggerating, whatever the opposite of exaggerating is, to say that Fred Astaire can dance a little. He is perhaps most famous as a film dancer. He, along with Gene Kelly, of all the actors of their era, the most famous for dance. But I don't want to cite Fred Astaire for dance, particularly. It's not that I don't enjoy those films. Top Hat, in fact, is probably my favorite of all the films Fred Astaire has done. It's more that I think he's underappreciated for a couple of things. Now, I could cite him as being underappreciated for his acting roles, but I don't know that I saw a lot of his best dramatic performances. On my list of movies to see one day is his last film, shot in 1981, Ghost Story. I also can barely remember The Amazing Dobermans, the best of the Doberman adventure films from the 1970s, or The Towering Inferno. So a lot of things that he did late in his career are, oddly, I'm less familiar with. Because if you're going to watch Fred Astaire, you're probably going to see classic Fred Astaire from the 1930s and 40s. But the best example of the 1970s is his role as the uh, mailman narrator for Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Now, obviously, that means he's going to be singing the title track, but he's also going to be telling the story, introducing, uh, at some points, interjecting along the way to drive the plot forward. And the ending of Santa Claus is Coming to Town is one of my favorite moments in all of Rankin-Bass, where they escape the plot line of the tale itself and give, you know, Astaire, or at least his character, the opportunity to talk about the true meaning of Christmas and how Christmas might be better if all of us learn to do a little bit better giving just the way Santa Claus does. So, I think of Fred Astaire, ironically, despite, again, acknowledging, tipping a top hat, if you will, to his dance skills as a singer. He has been credited by famous composers, Irving Berlin and others, as being perhaps the best interpreter of song in his style of American pop singing, at least among the male vocalists. Now you think about that. The reputation of Frank Sinatra is that he is regarded by many as an outstanding, maybe the best interpreter of song. But i got to say, after having listened to a great deal of both of their works, I'm persuaded by these composers. I think the timing, the nuance, the range, the actorly style of Fred Astaire, superior even to Sinatra. He may not have the vocal range of the best singers, 
But when you put together the skills of singing, acting, and dancing, he's a unique, in some cases perhaps unparalleled talent. A few weeks ago, in an Inappropriate Conversations show, I talked about being at a point in my life where I was recovering from a surgery and was fairly incapacitated. I needed to stay on the couch for something like 24 hours straight. And during that time, the one thing that I think got me by was that I knew that after I did my best to sleep through the night, you know, the evening after that surgery, that when I woke up the next morning, one of the cable channels, Turner Classic Movies perhaps, or American Movie Classics, was going to be showing all of the RKO musicals back to back to back. It was going to be a Rogers and Astaire marathon. And I knew that I could just turn the television on, let that channel roll, and I wouldn't have to worry about channel surfing or asking someone to come and put a different video or laser disc or something in for me, that I was going to be solid with Fred Astaire, particularly knowing that I was going to be able to see films you know, while I was trying to get myself to where I could feel better, like Top Hat, Follow the Fleet, and Swing Time. I'll get some self-assurance if your endurance is great. I'll learn by easy stages if you're courageous and wait. To feel the strength I want to, I must hang on to your hand. Maybe by the time I'm 50, I'll get up and do a nifty. All right, I'll show you again. Now remember, three steps to the left, three steps to the right. That's the right. And turn. Right. One, two, three. One, two, three. I know, I'm fine. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. Listen, no one could teach you to dance in a million years. I guess probably the first time I saw a stare on the big screen was in the series of 1970s anthology films called That's Entertainment. There were at least three of them that featured Astaire, and I don't know that I had ever seen him dance before. I was probably aware of his caricature in Santa Claus is Coming to Town first, and then later, five or six years later, my parents took the whole family to see That's Entertainment on, well, really, probably the biggest screen in town at the time, or at least the biggest movie screen that I had seen. And so it left a bit of an impression, but not necessarily an impression that at a young age, 10, 12 years old, made me want to go out and seek everything that Astaire ever did. But in film studies at college, taking a look at films from all generations, all nations, and studying, you know, really how, how they're put together, my focus on musicals was definitely more on Fred Astaire's work, at least during that period in the 30s and 40s. So I've got somebody who's left an impression. Perhaps the best single star turn in all of the Rankin-Bass films. But when I think of Christmas, and I think of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I've already shared a good deal about, not far behind it is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And the star of that show, really in some ways no Christmas feels complete, without the voice of Fred Astaire. Inappropriate conversations can be found on Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio is another way to listen to podcasts and other programming on the go. 
both inappropriate conversations and walk the earth. Share the feed in places like iTunes and elsewhere, and also part of Stitcher.com. This may prove to be a short episode, because what I really want to do is focus on a commentary for one of the strangest Christmas specials out there. You're more likely to see it on cable like ABC Family TV than anywhere else if you cut it on television. And of course, in the modern era, a television show that was originally aired at almost 25 minutes long is never going to rebroadcast in syndication that way. The one on YouTube is like the DVD I own. It has the entire 24-plus minute run. The one on cable, what it does show on cable, cuts out a song, cuts out a travel montage, essentially. And I'll call that out here in a minute when I get to the commentary. Nestor features, for me, one of the more interesting characters. And I mean, not characters in the sense of him being fictional, but characters in the sense of a unique figure in the history of country music and American pop performance. Roger Miller plays the Fred Astaire role in this particular TV special. The narrator introducing the storyline and saying goodbye at the end and leading in the primary song, the the title song for Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. Roger Miller is somebody that has had a role to play in my family life really for as long as I can remember. I have heard the song... Kings of the Road, which is probably his most famous self-sung single since probably before I was even old enough to know what music was. The song was released in the mid-1960s, and probably even a couple, three years after that, my family had a record album that included that song and many of his other hits. He was, to some degree, a novelty performer, but not a novelty performer in the same way that maybe Ray Stevens was. His credits include some fairly serious and important works. Late in his career, he co-wrote one of Dwight Yoakam's songs, It Only Hurts When I Cry, from his 1991 album, If There Was a Way. This is probably my favorite Dwight Yoakam album, although perhaps not my favorite song on that album. It was also later in his career that he came up with the musical Big River, based around... um, the Adventures of uh, Huckleberry Finn. So you got a, a Mark Twain storyline being brought to Broadway in the form of a musical. So some range to him. But as I'll mention when we get into the storyline for Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey and the commentary itself, to me, my favorite contribution from Roger Miller wasn't, well, certainly wasn't Nestor's, we'll see. It was actually his turn in Disney's Robin Hood, where he plays the rooster, and sings what might be my favorite musical moment in a Disney cartoon, in the sense of a song that was written for a Disney cartoon, and functioning as a musical moment in the Disney cartoon. In other words, a character singing a song within the plot line, driving the plot forward. If you don't remember the song Not in Nottingham from Disney's Robin Hood, that's well worth looking up on YouTube or somewhere else, or frankly, just putting in the cartoon from the early 70s, I think is when it came out. There's also recently been an interpretation of that song by Los Lobos. They do an outstanding job. The Pollyanna Cowgirl Records Podcast. So it's like someone saying I love you to you 
once a week. Tony Pucci specifically. Tony Pucci specifically. Hi, this is Tony Pucci of the Pollyanna Calgary Records Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join me each week as I play one hour of pod-safe pop and rock music. You can find the show at pollyannacalgirl.com or at the host podcast network site, simplysyndicated.com. Peace and love. Okay, so in the interest of doing commentary soundtrack, it's important to cue this up. And to me, the best way to do it, because even though I'm convinced that the 24-minute, 34-second runtime on the YouTube clip I'm looking at matches up really well with the DVD that I bought a couple of years ago from Warner Archives, you may want to listen to the commentary first for Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey before deciding whether you're interested in purchasing a copy for yourself. So if you go to YouTube at uh, youtube.com, and just search for Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. There really aren't that many full-length ones available. I'm looking at one that was, I think, put up by James Culpepper, perhaps. One of his 40 videos. At the time that I'm making this recording. So this is one that also begins with the Rankin-Bass logo. So as we begin, perhaps the right thing to do is just to do one of those 3, 2, 1, go counts. So we'll click play on this one from 3, 2, 1, Go. So I'm looking at the Rankin-Bass production logo, and I'm going to turn the sound far down. Now the logo here also says Warner Television Distribution, and that's where I got my copy, from warnerarchives.com. I saw it just by searching through and looking for other titles that I might want to buy to put together a a multi-purchase. So I was trying to buy lots of things together and fill a box set. That donkey that you see on the snow there, that's the Roger Miller character. And again, as I mentioned before, he's done animals quite well for animated TV or animated film with the uh, rooster character that sings Not in Nottingham for Disney and Robin Hood. This one is going to be a story about Christmas, a story about Santa and more than just Santa from the perspective of Spieltoe. Now, it seems to me that if you're going to name an animal Spieltoe, in fact, if you're going to name an animal anything that ends with toe, it probably shouldn't be a camel. There's just It's just too rife for the wrong kind of humor if you go with camel and, and have its name end that, that way. So Spieltoe is now taking us into the uh, stable area in the North Pole. And this is you know, pretty much just your, your Christmas cliche. We're seeing the places where all the different reindeer uh, stay in their stalls. We've got their nameplates. I much preferred the way Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer handled it, where the reindeer were essentially wild and free. They were employees of Santa and the North Pole, not pets or animals. Now, this story is going to turn on one key point, and that's that Spieltoe is going to tell us that Nestor is a long-eared donkey. That the donkey you see here in the manger scene is just not right. It's not, quote-unquote, historically accurate. Now, the thing I like the most about what Rankin-Bass has done here is that they have taken a character that would be familiar to almost any child looking at a nativity scene in their home, and they said, you know, let's take this character out of the manger and build a story around it. Because... As Roger Mill is singing, you know, we all know about Rudolph, we know Dasher and Dancer and all that other sort of stuff. There's the Santa mythology. But if you look in the manger scene, there are some things which make sense. There's going to be sheep around, and there's part of the reason there's going to be sheep around is because there's going to be uh, shepherds who show up and meet the baby Jesus. 
In this case, though, the donkey almost always comes with the stable scene. It's as if to say, if we're going to show, in, in some ways a historically inaccurate way, if we're going to show that there's a stable, and then we're going to put the baby Jesus in a manger, we need like a donkey or something to prove that this is really a, a working, functioning stable. Now, we have a story that's told and sung by Roger Miller, but it's important to note that it's not really Roger Miller's story. Um, the actors are Paul Fries and Brenda Vaccaro, and I'll talk about them in just a minute. Now, this was written by Romeo Muller, and I think he's also responsible for some of the other classics in the Rankin-Bass series. The song is Gene Autry, so you still have that country feel. It makes sense to bring in a country singer as a narrator when you're going to be dealing with yeah, you know, when you're going to be dealing with a country song. We've hit what would have been the first commercial break, and we've met the key characters. And what I'll say is that Brenda Vaccaro doesn't play the uh, key roles of Nestor or Nestor's mom. This character comes in later, and I'll, I'll introduce her then. Paul Fries is perhaps the best-known uh, voice actor in this. And if you watch the show with the audio on, you'll quickly recognize that this Olaf stable master, this donkey owner, is really the voice of the Burgermeister Meisterburger guy. I mean, Paul Fries. And so we think of him as having somewhat of a, of a gruff voice. He played orcs and goblins in the various uh, early animated versions of Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King, those those type films. The, uh, the I think the Ralph Bashke probably versions of those cartoons. Shooting from the hip, hoping my memory is right. But Freeze didn't always have what you'd regard what you'd as a gruff voice. He was the narrator for the Doc Savage film that Warner Brothers released at this time. He also was the voice of the, the few Pink Panther cartoons that actually have spoken voice, playing a very dignified, uh, you know, secret agent type narrator. Pink Finger is the one that I remember best. There's a lot of familiar material here, and that's one of the problems with Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey. It feels like there's a great deal of effort to do nothing more than recapture the flavor of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And they know that they're dealing with a short sort of amount of material, that it's very short form in every way, because you only have a 25-minute show. But the ears, which we get no explanation for that, it's just sort of a genetic anomaly of sorts, um, are used to make fun of him. The same way that Rudolph's red nose was used to make fun of Rudolph. So you've got the issue of, you know, a character being picked on. And there's going to be a song a little bit later that's called uh, Don't Laugh and Make Somebody Cry. And that's the song that I think usually gets lifted out of the TV version when it's shown on television. So at this point, we have a feel, a flavor of this story that is very much like what you'd expect from a Santa setting. It's got a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer kind of approach. We started off at the North Pole with Santa Claus. And here, everything we've seen so far is that same sort of dynamic. But it's about to change here in just a moment. Because while this is a uh, Christmas scene in the sense of gift-giving, um, set in the winter solstice. Now, that's a very you know accurate touch they've got there, that um, celebrating uh, the shortest day of the year and the end of that shortest day with the longest night, with the solstice celebration, and including some gift-giving. That makes sense. I think most of us know that there's no real evidence to suggest that Jesus of Nazareth was born on what we celebrate as Christmas Day, that that was simply an effort to 
from the early Christian church to find an audience to make a, a relevant appeal to a vast number of people who are celebrating a different event in a very different way. So a Roman officer shows up demanding some donkeys for the emperor. It is never really made clear what the donkey's purpose is going to be, what, what the, uh, what the military targets are, what role they're going to play, but they're needed. And it's at this point that most people, if it wasn't already obvious, are going to begin to connect the dots with the fact that if this is set at the time of the ancient Roman Empire, when the empire spread uh, pretty much as far and wide as as it had before, at its height, in other words, that you might get the sense that at some point there's going to be sort of a Ben-Hur moment where the other plot line, the other story that's being told, is going to dovetail in to the story of Christ. Now, that's appropriate. We've got a Christmas story. But I'll tell you what's not appropriate for a Christmas story is here, you've introduced our principal character, who is a young donkey. Nestor is a child. You're making a movie for children. So it's a kid's movie with a kid character. And almost immediately, not even 10 minutes in, this kid is being threatened by scary, gruff, angry adults and being taken away forcefully from his mother. And now, what ends up happening is that Nestor doesn't get dragged off by the Roman guard to serve in some dangerous military type type of situation. But instead, he's left to face the wrath of the stable master, the owner of these donkeys, who has kind of on one level or another been robbed. Now, I'm not quite sure I understand the logic of the stable master necessarily blaming Nestor entirely for what happened. Because, in essence, he was robbed. And if the stable master had paid better attention, he could have called out right up front to this Roman officer that this isn't a donkey you want. It's a runt. It has strange ears. It doesn't work. If he'd gotten in front of it, in other words. Now, this Olaf, in addition to being, you know, kind of a grumpy guy, is a very strong guy. Because we're about to get a demonstration of just exactly how far he can throw a donkey. There he goes, up over the trees, and into the trees, and far enough down when he falls down from the trees, that he's half buried in snow, coming off the trees where the snow is dislodged by his presence. That's a powerful guy. Now this is a predictable, and in some ways a really nice moment, where Mom rebels against the situation. This is an unacceptable set of circumstances, and she takes off. So now, one of the few, you know, healthy animals he had left has fled, and he's lost both because as a stable master, he's lost his temper, he's kicked Nestor out, and now he's also lost Nestor's mom. Now there's a vein of humor here that I haven't called out so far that I really don't enjoy. The ears Nestor gets old, and it's not done yet. But we're about to see the single most disturbing scene in the history of children's Christmas television. We've got... um Mom and Nestor, out in the snow, in genuine danger. There are Roman officers around. It's a very cold time of year. It's a very cold day in particular. So Nestor's mom decides that she's going to shelter her son as best she can. So she finds a place that's got some some shelter from the wind, digs out the snow to where at least the uh, the only contact with the ground is with grass instead of the wet snow. 
and then she shelters her son to keep the bad weather away from him. If you can guess what's happening next, then you are far more cynical and dark than even I could ever dream to be. Because we are 10 minutes and 45 seconds into a children's television program, a Christmas story, and we have murdered mom. (laughs) If you're a screenwriter, you have written a show that you intend for children to see. You've written a show that you believe has you know, strong religious tie-in that's going to be a heartwarming tale. And you've, you've begun it by murdering the mom character. So now we got Nestor here. He's an orphan. He's an outcast. Nobody likes him. Any other donkey that might be his friend is gone. And we get to this television break. The first real television break after the intro. And at the commercial, you're a parent trying to communicate with a kid about what just happened to mom. We come back from the commercial break, a couple of words of introduction from Spieltoe, and now Nestor is trying to make his way in the world. Now we're learning a couple things about Nestor that are interesting. One thing is that his ears are not only strangely large and long, but they hear very well, which is you know, kind of nonsensical in certain ways, because the exterior of his ears that have such great length probably don't play that much role in his actual ability to hear. The other main actor, the well-known actor who appears in this particular cartoon or this particular animated TV special, is Brenda Vaccaro. She plays Tilly, the angel, the cherub. Now, Brenda Vaccaro, to me, is probably best known as Joey Tribbiani's mother on Friends, appearing in one episode. Uh, She also is a mother figure in Johnny Bravo, although this is her first work in animated television. Although, when you look at her resume, she's got a great deal of work that she's done historically, and probably has a a fairly long and significant TV resume, appearing on shows ranging from Marcus Welby to the streets of San Francisco. So, And and even having a a TV show I don't remember ever seeing myself called Sarah, where I believe she was the the lead actress and main character of that show. So here Tilly is, trying to explain to Nestor that that his situation, while seemingly hopeless for now, is part of something much bigger. That there is a plan for him, and he's got a role to play. And so, if everything hadn't previously been telegraphed, there you go. Tilly peels back her wing. Someone, perhaps her, has written the word Bethlehem so that she won't forget. And now... I think almost anybody can understand that I see where this is heading. The story of Jesus includes Mary riding on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so Nestor is probably going to be that donkey. And we know this because from the very beginning, Roger Miller introduced the manger scene that the elves had carved and how it was inadequate because it didn't look enough like Nestor. It wasn't accurate enough. So now we get this traveling montage with a musical number. Don't laugh and make somebody cry. I don't know if I'm happy with the animals. You know, generally, it seems like every character in the story has a cruel streak running through them. And the frogs, I mean, at least maybe cut the frogs some slack. Somebody's got to have a little bit of sympathy. We tie into the Ugly Duckling story here, too, as well, with this family, and later there'll be a mother and father swan. 
you can see how this is a scene that might lift right out if you're going to rebroadcast this show for network television. And if you're curious, me mentioning this is only a half-hour TV special, we're past the halfway point. So in some ways, this travel montage is the central piece of the, of the show. It begins, at least the part involving Nestor, begins in a stable in the northern part of the Roman Empire, the northwestern part of the Roman Empire. And, and now we make this journey to the Middle East, ultimately going to accumulate in a trip to Bethlehem, and believe it or not, it's going to end right back where it started again, and probably the show's biggest flaw of writing. Now, I, I think the interesting thing is, I'm saying that the biggest writer's mistake in the entire show is yet to come. But ironically, that means that there's a mistake that's worse than mom dying. Here, once again, you know, can you find at least one animal with the intelligence and the, if you want, for want of a better word, the near humanity to have a better sense of how to respond to an unusual animal like Nestor, why pick on the dolphins? At least the dolphins could have been cast in the role of having some semblance of intelligence. There's another issue with the writing in this, and that, the, that there's a certain amount of repetition involved here. So we've essentially replaced the strong maternal figure of the mother donkey with a surrogate maternal figure of Tilly the cherub here. And we're about to have Olaf replaced with a very stereotypical, and uh, not kind at all, uh, merchant. Somebody who's selling uh, animals or has a, a roadside stand along a travel or a, a merchant path. Now, some of, the, some of the animated figures here are reappearances. The Rudolph that appears was not on the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but on a sequel, also a Rankin-Bash show. Some of the camels here are from the... Uh, Little Drummer Boy, which was another 30-minute Rankin-Bass production. Little Drummer Boy, I'm pretty sure, coming out between Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is coming to town. So Rudolph was 64, Santa Claus is coming to town was 70, this is 77. So the three Rankin-Bass films I've talked the most about over the last couple of years on Inappropriate Conversations spread out pretty evenly by about six or seven years. Now, Nestor here is very sad, because once again, in this repetition, all the other animals are making fun of him. But luckily, we don't have to take any time to do that, because we can see pretty far ahead into what's going on. The close-up of the star in the sky tells us that the time is near, and that no matter how it actually plays out, this is going to be the donkey that Mary rides the rest of the way to Bethlehem. Now, I really dislike the stereotype used for this particular merchant. I suppose that there's nothing inherently wrong about it. I'm not going to accuse it of being racist in any way. And it may be a boring element of the story if this is an honest merchant, but the way they portray him as being essentially somebody who is trying to pull a fast one and, and rip off Mary and Joseph, and it only plays out because of divine intervention you'd like to think that that would ring true and feel like a genuine part of the story, like it's organic to the story itself. But it actually feels a little bit forced and more than a, just a little bit false. On some level, this merchant could have found out that Mary and Joseph really couldn't afford the finest donkey he has to sell, certainly not a camel. And he may have come up with another reason to let them take Nestor or at least have him at a very low price. Because clearly, 
he wasn't getting any other offers on Nestor to begin with. But no, he, he gets a divine vision of the Virgin Mary. And from that divine vision, he realizes that he needs to give her this donkey for free. So off we go. We have now, uh, two-thirds of the way through the storyline, finally hit, maybe three-fourths of the way, finally hit the point where, all right, this is familiar to us. This is biblical. And if we're going to be telling a biblical story, we might as well get into the path of the Bible. We've got a star. we got Mary and Joseph. We've got a donkey. We're traveling on the way to Bethlehem. I'm not 100% sure that this bizarre sandstorm is biblical. But if you wondered earlier what Tilly was trying to say, how Nestor was going to save another life the way his mother saved his life, this is what they came up with, that the donkey's strangely shaped ears, being supernaturally powerful, have enabled him to hear the voice of, well, not necessarily the voice of Tilly. Tilly is showing here. You're led led to believe an angelic voice is going to lead him, and if he just follows the voice... It'll get them through this sandstorm and keep them effectively on the way to Bethlehem. But no, instead of it being Tilly, he's going to be following the voice of his mother. This reminds me in some ways of the scene in The Lion King, where Simba is chasing after, you know, hallucinations of his father that he's seeing in nature, and that some way perhaps it's a conjuring of sorts by Rafiki. And here, he's uh, seeing and hearing his mother, he's hearing an angel choir, he knows what he's doing is important, he wants to take care of Mary and do a good job, He, as the story tells us, he didn't run away like he could have, and now he's going to lead them by following the path through this sandstorm. So, I guess it's because of the 30-minute show, but the storm didn't seem anywhere near long enough to merit this hero-making that's built around it. So, I guess you'd have to maybe put in place for your own mind that storm, storm lasting for hours or, you know, days, perhaps, to make that as heroic as it's set out to be. I'm not sure why you wouldn't just, if you're Joseph, why you wouldn't just hunker down and wait out the storm. But they finally make it to the city of Bethlehem, and this is a scene that I actually quite enjoy, because they've sort of recreated an ancient city, reestablished that there's no room in the inn, and in this case, it's Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey, who has the insight to lead them to a stable, because from his experience, a stable is a very warm place to be around people that you love. But remember, from Nestor's experience in stables, he hasn't necessarily had such a good time. Now, he's not wrong in the sense of it being a way to provide a sense of shelter when you're when you don't have anywhere else to go. But I don't know that it's quite so clear that Nestor finding a stable would have been a, a wise choice from him's from his perspective, based on all of his memories. So here comes the show's biggest failing. I mentioned the biggest failing wasn't just killing mom off in a children's program. But we have Nestor going all the way back to the north when he's done, skiing on his long ears. And Olaf and everyone else welcomes him back like he's some sort of hero. How do they know anything that Nestor has done? And if they did know what he would have done, 
how would they have enough understanding to appreciate it? It would be at least 30 or 40 years before anybody would even begin to connect the dots between these events from a biblical perspective and the significance of them. Would you really throw this kind of a party for a runaway donkey who lured his mom away to protect him, left his mom for dead, and then ran off from one side of the countryside to the other? And the big thing he accomplished during that entire time was lead a small family through a sandstorm? I don't know that you'd feel that strongly about it. So, it's very odd. It's a major plot problem that at the end, Nestor ends up back where he started again. Although, I guess that from a storytelling perspective, you've got you know a few main scenes to deal with. You've got this opening in Olaf's place, this travel montage, a scene in a merchant sort of scenario where he was up for sale, the trip to Bethlehem, where else can you go after that? I mean, the donkey does not have, at least in the Bible story, donkey doesn't really appear in the in the creche at all. It's not part of the manger scene biblically, necessarily. But what else do we do with him? They just take him right back where he came from. So you get the closing credits. And among the things the closing credits, for whatever reason, want to do, is call to mind in an ending montage that, yes... Nestor's mom died during this story. By the way, Merry Christmas, kids. Mom might die someday. <laughs> and then you end up with this recreation of all of these things. With Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and a lot of the bullying and, and harassment scenes that were in there, it was a teaching moment that as a parent you could stop, you could talk to your kids about how not to do that. I don't know that Nestor provides the same kind of opportunity because... At least Rudolph went out into the world and found some friends. Here, Nestor goes out into the world, just finds more trouble. And the only good thing in his travels, in his trip, in his journey, besides the little cherub, the only good thing he found was Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. Masters of None. Log on to mastersofnone.com. Our DJ name's real. 95% of them are completely fake. There's someone named Rusty Fender, traffic person. Ew. I'm Rusty Fender giving you the traffic. I really hope that that guy gets in a bus accident. Yeah. This would be ironic death. Now your name is Bloody Fender. <laughs> and you're causing the traffic. <laughs> okay, then you got people who just steal famous names like George McFly, Jack Daniels, Maverick, and Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alright, I made the last one up. I made the last one up. <laughs> it was just like an 18-year-old intern. Hi, everyone. I'm Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> what? Anything with nice. You need those, like, those short-sounding names with that one, too. Chuck Nice. Jack Nice. Benjamin Nice really doesn't work. NPR try to get edgy by trying to get some cool radio names going on. I'm Bartholomew Nice. <laughs> Bartholomew. Nice to be here on NPR. <laughs> I will cite Wild Bill Shakespeare is an actual (laughs) radio name. That was actually a before and after puzzle on Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) (laughs) Masters of None. Email mastersofnone at simplysyndicated.com. On Twitter, Masters of None. And on Facebook, Masters of None. It may seem like I'm being harsh to the folks who made the Rankin-Bass animated specials. You can't win them all. And for as good as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is, I've seen it again recently, and it still has the same problems. The male characters, Donner, Comet, Santa Claus, unpleasant. 
not not people that you'd want your son to grow up emulating. And so there are still issues where you almost have to teach your way through Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer to get everything out of that classic TV show that you should. Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey is is a much different affair. As a Christian, I find it somewhat interesting that the Rankin-Bass folks and the writer Romeo Muller took a character, for want of a better word, out of your average manger scene and built a story around that character and the role that it might have played behind the scenes in the Nativity story. And the Nativity story itself is nice. It's always good to see. But you mix that together with you know the mother character dying, dying in a children's television special. It doesn't add up to me. So although I own a copy of Nestor, The Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, I bought it suspecting that I might remember it from when I was a kid. But unfortunately, 1977, or whenever I might have been able to catch it thereafter, I was perhaps just a little bit too old to be investing any time in a show that didn't didn't start off better than this one did. It needed to do a little bit better to have truly captured my attention. So I missed Nestor at the time, picked it up because of the credentials. Roger Miller, Paul Friesen, Brenda Vaccaro as actors, voice actors. You know, just the Rankin-Bass brand name in general. This one in particular, though, simply doesn't pan out. However, armed with the knowledge that it has a couple of the most outrageously miswritten scenes that I can recall, the mother character dying for almost little more than writer's block plot-driving convenience, and not being able to fathom why any of the animals, and especially not why Olaf, the stable master, would even know what Nestor went off and did when he came back, that to be celebrating it like it was some sort of a huge achievement. It's almost a fantastic DVD for me to own from the perspective of how not to do children's television broadcasting. So take that in mind if you are a parent with young kids and you've now listened to this inappropriate conversations and pre-screened Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. I would be behind you 100% if you said, you know what? despite the quality of Rankin-Bass, and despite loving almost all their other work, this one may not be one to show the kids this holiday season. Merry Christmas, and thanks for listening.
This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.